Ooh, what is going on, Wake Up Warriors? This is part two of the Brooks Gibbs interview. If you haven't seen part one, you want to make sure you go back because there's going to be some tie-ins there. And this will be here waiting for you when you get here. Two, make sure to subscribe wherever you are. I know you're going to get in into life while you're watching this or listening to this or when you get to the destination, you click it off. Make sure to subscribe now so that you get these weekly updates because you're always like, man, I really want to listen to that podcast. But then you don't because you forgot. So do it now. All right, here's today's episode. Brooks, you got the you got the mind just rolling right here. I'm definitely Well, I don't like people to feel like a victim. No, I definitely I'm 100% like on that. Victim. But yeah, we, we promote victimization that. in this culture. We we promote What are some ways cuz maybe I'm misunderstanding it. What are some other ways that we are promoting victimization I mean, especially just, for our you kids? You know, Google woke. Okay. And so you think woke culture as a whole is promoting uh, victimization? It, it is synonymous with victim culture. I will say that from my perspective, woke culture focuses, the focus is heavily on exposing people for doing something they didn't like and not so much on education about why it wasn't liked or trying to understand perspective of the intent of the action. Here's my point. Really, if objective harm was done to your body or property, okay, then let's write that wrong. But if subjective harm was done to your feelings or your emotions, tough noogies, deal. And so you're you're under the I guess your guidance would be just move on. Wiser than you were. Like it's either you're going to try to change the harsh reality okay, and live miserably and waste years, tears, and dollar bills, y'all. Or you can adjust to that harsh reality and thrive and look at that limitation as one of the greatest things that's ever happened to you. This is – this is the winning mindset. This is resilience. Resilience is leveraging adversity for psychological growth. And there's no resilience without adversity. And so resilient people look for adversity and they lean into it. They want it. They are thankful for it. It brings out the best in them. And that's the opposite of the culture that we live in. Weak and sensitive. and so- Maybe am am I wrong or not wrong, but uh, am I misguided in understanding that I can be resilient and also want to not change someone's perspective, but also add to a conversation that might not like I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. Like, can't I accept the reality while also trying to change it? So, for instance, uh, let's say, you know, we've used it a couple times here today, like let Martin Luther King Jr. during the civil rights movement, he accepted his reality, but also wanted to change the reality, not just for himself, but for generations to come. So where does that fit in the place? It is, I can accept where I am while also wanting to change it for the next to come. And I think that's for me, where I lose myself with quote unquote woke culture is that it's a, it seems like a lot of pointing at like you're doing something harmful and hurtful without a lot of actionable items to help change that state. And so where is the difference? Because I do understand we don't need to be victims, but I don't think that we all are victims. We should just accept the message. We are yeah. all victims. Yeah, for sure. Life is hard. Mm-hmm. It is suffering. And the the better you are at accepting and leaning into the suffering, the more happy you will be and the more healthy you will be, right? The goal for happiness is um, it's a pursuit, I suppose, but it's certainly not promised. I guess I look at the sociological statistics of the African-American culture before affirmative action or Mm -hmm. whatever those programs are. There's so many programs and you'd say, well, there, there were a lot, that, a lot of people that were married and now there's not so much. And there are, a, it seems like if I look at footage at least, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you could find footage that shows suffering people, you know, 
sad, uh, but it seemed to me that uh, everyone adjusted well to the harsh reality. Now, I, I don't believe in segregation. I don't believe in uh, keeping people out of uh, whatever. You know what I mean? I'm not, okay. I don't, but if I was a psychologist back then, I would have worked with young people and I would say, how can you view the harsh reality of the limitations that you face as one of the greatest, and not lie to yourself, but actually believe it, the greatest loads or pressures that's going to bring out greatness out of you? Pressure makes diamonds. How are you going to leverage this for your psychological growth? And, you know, I don't mind if anyone fights for the weak. I think that's a great idea. And I think to keep it in its proper uh, place, which is the courts, right? And maybe media, because <laughs> that's one thing Martin Luther King Jr. was absolutely genius about. He knew Gross. if he could not film the actual oppression, then he wouldn't provoke the conscientiousness of a globe. For sure. The United States. And so he understood PR. And so, uh, but, but nonetheless, I would look at my kiddos or I would look at the the clients that I would have back in that day. And I would say, but even if you, it's not in your lifetime, or even if he doesn't get advanced, you know, how awesome is going to be your life? How, and what do you want? Do you want to depend on others to take care of you? Or do you want to take care of yourself? Do you want to get offended when you're rejected from a place? Or, or do you want to be unfazed when you're rejected from a place and be able to pity them for their narrow mindedness? No, that I, I, I it's so weird because we're, and maybe I'm missing it, right? So where I hear you is being the victim to me, I really associate with that. I don't want to feel like whether I'm the victim or not, that's not who I am. Um, I feel I'm going to put myself in positions, whether I'm starting behind or ahead. Um, I guess in this case, if I'm starting behind, that's okay. I can accept that. What can I do to get to where I want to be? Right. But and by the way, good. When we talk on the individual level, okay, everyone is in agreement. Okay. When we talk about a a macro level, a yeah. cultural, a people group, a suffering population, everyone divides. And so, and so I, that's the, the, the I guess that's where I'm trying to understand it better is on the I completely understand. Maybe I've had it worse. No, I've had it worse in, in my viewpoint than some others. But that's not here nor there because I have to deal with the cars I've been dealt. However, I still may want, let's say my daughter to have a better set of cards. So where is the difference between it and not she, being a victim yourself while also making sure or trying to change the, I guess, reality for the next to come? Yeah. So, I would say what's more important for my child is that she doesn't have the mind virus. Okay. And the mind virus is she's a victim okay. and she is not capable of achievement because of the hardships of other people that have, they have placed on her. Okay. And I would say, uh, no, anything I can do to cure you of your victim mindset and to give you the skills to refuse to, when you are a true victim, I mean, true victim, like God forbid, uh, you get hit by a car and that's from a drunk driver and you now are paralyzed. Like my wife's a quadriplegic, you know, all four limbs are paralyzed and, and you look at that situation. You're like, oh no, this is horrible. You're a true victim. Yeah. But you know what was so attractive to me about my wife? <laughs> I would ask her stuff like, oh, this is so sad. She says, no, you know, I, I could be blind. I think that would be a worse disability to deal with. I'm so thankful that I have my eyesight. That was attractive to me. And I was like, well, is this forever? She says, well, this side of heaven, it's, it's forever, I guess. But the other side of heaven, I'm going to have a new body. She was a person of faith. She knew that this was a temporary problem. Mm. And then I said, wow, well, I just feel so bad for you. She says, no, 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 don't feel bad for me. I get great parking. <laughs> I get on the front of roller coaster rides. Got it. Like, I'm a built-in stroller for my future babies. Like, I can pile groceries on the lap. Like she just sees the upside to every letdown. She refused to 
identify in Got her it. spirit level as a paralyzed, helpless, oppressed victim, although she and was a true victim. Was that She's a drunk a driving accident? Victim. What's that? Was that a drunk driving accident? Because you said no. She was a gymnast, but I, I, uh, I realized that while I was giving the example of a drunk driver, I get what you're saying. I got a wife who's paralyzed. No, no, I, I get what you're saying. Because I, 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 my the reason I asked is because my question was going to be: Is she an advocate for like, uh, maybe not? You know, is she an advocate? Yeah, she for... could be if she wanted to. Like her dad died of uh, from a drunk driving accident. Okay, so she could, she could, and many times, by the way, that is to our benefit. The worst thing that ever happened to me actually turned out to the best thing for me. Why? Because it gave me purpose. The pain that I experienced now made me sensitive to the problems in the world, and I'm going to help people with similar problems. So, so oftentimes, a person who's truly cured of their victim mindset will tell you, and these are true victims, if I had to live my life over again, I wouldn't change a thing because I love the person I've become. That's funny. Because of the hard things in my life. That's funny. Anything yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do to cure a child from their victim mindset, I will Got do. It. And all I see as far as the fruit of entitlement programs mm -hmm. is the human tendency to identify and maintain that identity of an oppressed victim that can overcome. If you can do both and not have the mind virus of a victim, what the heck? Go for it. Fight for your cause. I don't care. But you're going to be victimized in other areas that you're never going to be able to right wrongs. I it. guarantee it. No. And so I, 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 uh, a couple of things that poked out to me, and that's why I kept asking and trying to kind of understand it better, yeah. is what I'm hearing you say, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that we don't want to be a, uh, obviously getting rid of the victim mindset. Uh, I, maybe this is off, but accepting the situation that you're in. Um, while also it is okay, however, to try and promote or, uh, educate others to help avoid, uh, the same situation if it is avoidable. So for instance, like the junk driving accident, right? Like I, Hey, this is my life. I, it could be significantly worse. However, but that's objective harm to body and property and objective harm to, you know, uh, what, what I'm not in favor of is trying to cure the subjective harm where my feelings are hurt. And I, I think that's wrong. Um, I think if, if an objective harm is keeping you from getting a job because of the color of your skin, then yeah, sure. I guess fight that. But I think an in intelligent sociologist would look at the data and say, I'm not sure entitlement programs help people. I could say and make a good argument that it was the worst possible catastrophic thing to a particular people group. It is the hell, the road to hell that was paved with good intentions. But as a result, with this entitlement idea and this entitlement programs and the government now uh, becoming sort of uh, uh, people being dependent on these government programs, it could have uh, really destroyed uh, uh, a, a group of folks. And, and I look at, they tried to explain why are African-Americans in prison, okay. you know, disproportionately. And you basically have two sides to that, you know, to the answer. One would say, well, it's because there's discrimination and police brutality and people are profiling. And so that they're that, you know, whatever. Or other people would say, well, because there have been a generation of unruly children that have not had a father in the home, uh, whether they're black or white, but it seems to be disproportionately black. And why is that? Well, it could be because to have a husband in the home uh, could maybe keep the mother from having the per diem or whatever she gets from the government. So uh, she marries the government in order, and the husband leaves the home and and, and, and leaves the influence of the child. And, and like, the, you can't just write that off. You have to, you have to admit that two smart people are coming to the same table, two smart people that love African-Americans, that mm -hmm. love them, but have a different interpretation of the data and the cause of the problem. I bend towards the mind virus because I see it not just in the American culture. <laughs> I see it in Australia with the aboriginals and I see it with the native Americans 
and the government programs that have destroyed their communities. And I view it in other people groups, not just the African-American community. When the government creates entitlement based on a narrative of profound victimization that may be true, what happens is it develops a chronic victimization mindset that hinders a person from taking responsibility, oftentimes for their own feelings and their own problems and their own harsh reality. Mm -hmm. It gives them an inability to adjust well to the harsh realities and take responsibility for their life. That seems to be the unintended negative consequences of many entitlement programs. How does someone, so let's say, uh, in you mentioned the Aboriginals, the black community here, the Native American communities here, how would someone who doesn't have access to like a you, how would someone then fight the mind virus? Well, I, you know, they don't need me. Um, but I'm saying like in other ways, right? So like if, if I'll tell you what, I'll so, tell you if, what, so if mom, if, if mom and dad already have it, right. And, you know, I guess grandma and grandpa probably gave it, not gave it to them, but like we talked earlier about foundations, values, right? So uh, generational conditioning, let's say, has created the mind virus. Is, would you say that's correct or incorrect? So then, yeah. so then how then without some type of intervention of either access to this information, does the mind virus change? Because I, 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 I do obviously see outliers. You have outliers. But as groups, Aboriginals, Native Americans, and the Black community, what interventions then would you suggest other than just change the mind virus? That's a great question, dude. It's a really good question. Because and, uh, I agree with I, – I, I really do agree with you, Brooks, that it is mindset, um, and that's why I look at affirmative action as a positive because if someone were to get into college and be able to change, like you said, the five to ten people around them, right, I think that changes their level of access but also their perspective. But so it, is not, it costs – it's unfair for someone. Oh, it's without a doubt. It's unfair for someone else. So, I'm know. not. I'm not disagreeing with that. I, I I completely agree, and I think what it what it ends up trying to do is like, hey, for X amount of years, we feel like this was unfair, and so now we're trying to not right a wrong, but give access that could have been given that you paid for, that now we're going to try and you know make amends, right? Wrong, right, and different. I see the idea behind it. Without something like that at all, what would too. you see? What's that? And I do too. I think and so, like the anti-bullying movement has good intentions. Facts. But we don't really think about the, un the negative consequences of those good intentions often. So not just those who are very smart and listening to this podcast with Brooks. And again, I really appreciate you stepping in because yeah. uh, you're able to talk on such a higher level on these things. Cause I this is what you dedicated your listeners. <laughs> What's that? I bet I pissed off a bunch of your listeners. But the thing no, is, so, so you know what Brooks, honestly, I hope they're pissed off, but I hope they look at why they're pissed off. And I hope they are well, at least allowed question. to like listen to your perspective. Cause honestly, there's some things that you've said that I, don't agree with, but also as I'm listening, I'm trying to figure out why I don't agree with them. Like at what level, right? Am I pissed off? It's super interesting because some of the things that we've talked about as far as resilience training, I'm starting to, like, I'm already like, hmm, that's interesting. Why does that trigger me? Wait, right? I, I'd like to answer your question. There is yeah. no school of psychology that would endorse this concept of uh, what I would call the mind virus, expecting others to solve your problem. Got it. Uh, the whole concept of psychology, again, is to empower the individual to scrape up what's left of them and to view their narrative as truthfully a positive, even though it's full of negatives. Facts. What doesn't kill me makes me, makes stronger. me stronger. Six and stones will break my bones. But words will never harm me. Why? Because it's up to me whether a word will hurt. So I'm not going to try to police everyone's words. I hear you. Control society. I'm so going I'm going to change how I perceive them. I'm going to say, you know what? They they can say whatever they want. It's up to me whether I'm going to take that to heart or not. And by the way, Sticks and Stones was invented in 1863 by the African-American slaves 
to empower their children to not be offended by racism. Yeah. You could look that up. I, I did. Where do you think I got that from? Before, <laughs> before psychology, there was philosophy. Yes. Stoics said the same thing. Is it's not what happens to you that disturbs you, but your interpretation. Your reaction to it. Yeah. No, your interpretation. That means your evaluation, your mm. your your belief systems that that create your disturbances. So things don't bother you. It's your thoughts about those things that bother mm. you. So, yes. so get control of how you interpret even the harsh realities of life. So before psychology was philosophy, and they all say the same thing. They're solid. No. Philosophy was theology and every religion in the world tries to help people adjust to harsh realities for me it's a it's a judeo-christian tradition counted all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience be exceedingly glad when you are persecuted for righteousness sake for great is your reward in heaven this light affliction is but for a moment and working in me a far and exceeding eternal weight of glory and the suffering of the present time is not worthy to be compared to the joy that will be revealed in me. On and on and on, I could go. Jesus My man had bars. He was just dropping. I was like, okay. So, so essentially, you stole it all from theology. <laughs> in this life, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Yes, I've overcome the world. And why do you hear all the spirituals, the Negro spirituals, talking about on the other side of heaven, you know, one day? Like their hope was in heaven, not in this earth. And, 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 and the scripture teaches that. Don't put your eyes on things of this world. And by the way, the history of the world, most people have been oppressed by tyrants For sure. no, and used easy. and abused like slaves. And so the freedoms that we have in America are so much better than 100%. the majority of the trillions of people that have lived since the beginning of mankind. Uh, we can count our blessings one by one. I, I, they don't need me. They need religion or philosophy or psychology. They just need to learn. How do you think that we implement that? Like, and, and, and I understand, listen, Brooks, I really am not trying to have you save the world. I'm sure there's no answer that will fix it uh, or else we would do that. It's almost simpler. Um, I think this specifically, and I, I will, I won't take up too much of your time. I'm just, I, you know, man, I get with you and I, I could listen and talk. I, it, it, <laughs> I conversation know. with you truly takes me like it, it takes me wild, man. I yeah, really appreciate so different, that. And that's what I appreciate. Yeah. We have mutual admiration and that's the type of ironing, sharpening iron, right? Yeah, for sure. Dudes that really care about our family and we want to do well and we don't want to disturb our children, but we want to set them up for strength, not just physical strength, but mental strength. And for that's sure. I think that mental fortitude so, is what's your question? So it's more how, so with those groups, right, without any interventions, um, which, what is the intervention that you think would help? Um, I, I'm working on some things that I look at when I peel back and I'm trying to implement and help. Um, what are some of the ways that you think that we could influence some of these communities or these minority groups or those who, let's just blanket it. Victim mentality, uh, which is everyone, right? Not, I'm sorry, not everyone has a victim mentality. Everyone's a victim of something, but those who have victim mentality, how can we help those groups? What? I, I think I, I, think I say intervention, but like, what yeah, is it? I, I think it's learning to view your harsh reality as your greatest blessing and not okay. want to change your harsh reality. And it's the three questions I ask, negative, neutral, positive. How could this have been worse? Why won't this matter in your future? How could this turn out for your good? Because when you have that mentality, you would say, if I had to live all over again, I wouldn't change a thing because I love who I've become. So it's a very simple thing. When you're working with someone, how long does it take for them to accept that as like a mantra? It depends or on how far the virus has gone. Got it. I mean – for those people, especially in minority groups who've been raised with a victim mindset, believing they are oppressed mm -hmm. and it's wrong that they were oppressed and their grandparents and their great grandparents and whatever. And they're so poisoned that, uh, that sometimes I don't, I don't know if it's possible. They have to be so incredibly courageous. A, I want you to take a second to explain poisoned. So to attribute 
um, oppression as bad. Okay. You know, it seems like a no-brainer. Yes, of course, oppression is bad. You Got shouldn't it. have people as slaves. You shouldn't take their land or you shouldn't pay them less than what they're worth and let other people be paid more. Like, that's wrong. I mean, that's a, that's a hard thing to overcome. And, and I would rather a person be able to say, yeah, but it is what it is. Okay. All right. So the poison is allowing that to control you going forward. It's re the poison is refusing to accept a harsh reality. Got it. Okay. Okay. And the remedy is to leverage the harsh reality to your advantage. Okay. So, I, and to be super clear, man, I honestly asked you to define that because I semi understood what you were saying, but wanted you to clarify it for the person who heard it and is like poisoned, right? Like, and wasn't allowing you to not just be you, but wasn't allowing you to use terminology. Like, yeah, it's very interesting. Like if you look at like the Jewish community that had the Holocaust and the horrible yeah. Holocaust that it was, and who could ever say that it was a good thing? It, it absolutely was horrible. But you talk to actual Jews in Israel and you say, they, they would say, this is what it took to provoke the conscientiousness of the entire globe to free up this land so that we could have our own state of Israel. And so we look back at the Holocaust in a memorialized way to be able to say, you know, yes, the worst thing that ever happened to us turned out to be the best thing for us. And if we had to do it all over again, I mean, this is crazy to even talk like this, but if we had to do it all over again, would we change it? We wouldn't have our nation state or, you know, how would we have the conscientiousness provoked? And it's just a it's just a foolish exercise in quantum physics to try to think of different realities happening. But be that as it may, healthy Jews will tell you we have scraped whatever's left of us and we've realized the hardship has actually made us and we are stronger because of it. And that's the history of the whole Jewish people, by the way, because Hitler was not the only one trying to take them out. You go all the way back to the Pharaoh. And perhaps even before that, but that's as far as I know of as their history. The Herod tried to kill the Jewish people in, in ancient Israel. So there, there are the, the type of people that I want to be like are those who memorialize their hardships and say, that was hard. That was tough. That was difficult. But you know what? I'm proud of who I am and I'm thankful for who I am. And I'm not going to demand that anyone changes what happened to me because they can't. <laughs> and so in those victim groups, or I'm sorry, those who have, who have not yet accept, accepted uh, the victimization, um, you're saying that the negative, neutral, positive, having them exposed to that, kind of getting them to use that as a filter for some of the things that they're doing is what's, yeah, because it's what psychology philosophy huh. and theology teaches. I really, I really like that. I'm curious if there's a, like a, a thing you like, like, obviously if I could have each person sit down with a Brooks Gibbs and, you know, maybe it's something you already have or are working on. What is the, uh, the downloadable Brooks Gibbs that I could implement that like to, that I could yeah. send to somebody or have yeah. them. If you want to teach your children these basic ideas, you go to raisethemstrong.com and that has access to curriculum and okay. videos and exercises. Are those free or not free? Are those are, uh, it's like $19 a month. I think okay. there's some free downloads, but it's like $19 a month. It's like a membership okay. thing that I have. And the and link to that does, is here in the description. It works on children's frustration tolerance. And ultimately okay. that's the clinical term of what we're talking about. When frustration means blocked goals, when someone's blocking your goal, <laughs> I want to get here, but they're in the way. Am I going to lose my freaking mind and demand that they stop blocking or will I go around it and say, okay, this is actually to my benefit. I'm going to have to be creative and think outside the box and go around it because life is full of blocked goals. I don't care what color your skin is. Mm. I don't care where you come from or what part of the world you live in. What religion doesn't Frustration matter. Goals. Yeah. is life. That's suffering. I don't want pain, but I do have pain. That's blocking my goals of not having pain. I don't want to die, but death is coming. I want to live forever, but I can't in this body. So uh, that program, Raise Them Strong, hyper-focuses on their low frustration tolerance, their irritabilities, 
their affinabilities. And it, it gives you exercises to expand their frustration tolerance, to raise it. So I have you poking at their skin for 30 seconds while they keep a smile. No pain, but just provocation. Mm. I have uh, the other child chewing something noisy in their ear. It's basically exposure prevention. Let me, uh, exposure prevention response therapy is actually what the clinical validated therapeutic uh, exercise is you have to expose yourself to the thing that usually triggers you. Mm-hmm. And the more that you do that, the less it has power to provoke you. And uh, someone came over the other day and she's so afraid of snakes. And I said, let me find you a snake. We got to expose you to the snake. She says, Oh, don't do it. I said, don't you want to no longer have this fear? Well, then you got to overcome it. And it's so debilitating. She's not willing to go into parks. Well, you're going to pick up a snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spiders, snakes, whatever the heck it is. Like, you want to live limited? You know, do you want to have a law sign that the government's responsible to kill every snake and every spider that might be <laughs> out there? Or do you just want to say snakes, snakes and spiders exist? I'm going to just, I'm going to get close to them so they don't trigger me anymore. Listen, I'm going to let them exist over there. <laughs> I'm not going to. Uh, well, I, I do hear you're, what you're saying. You're the that. weaker for it. And it's okay. Okay. If yeah, you're, it's fine. If you're okay. Yeah. Being afraid. I'm okay being around a snake. I'm just not trying to pick up, homie. Like, I'm not, like, you know what I mean? I'm actually really okay with being around snakes, but the idea I'm going to go pick one up to help someone else get exposed, bro, no. <laughs> well, you know, if you're working with me. Got it. I appreciate that. I would that. say, uh, next time you come in, there's going to be Sylvester the snake, and I want you to bring in your daughter because we're going to teach her and you how to face your fears. I love that. And to let nothing in your life hinder you. Nothing. If you can control it, which you can in this case, then don't let it. Some things will hinder you, but, but, but you don't want unnecessary things hindering you. Got it. Well, you know, com is a good thing to go it, to. Is, would that also be good for parents, right? So like one of the biggest issues uh, obviously is, yeah, we want the next generation to be a little bit more. Uh, a little bit stronger, but the current generation is raising them. So it's, I love how people are like this generation, like, yo, you raised us and we'd raise them. So it is not just, in my opinion, the kids, although like, how is there something like raise them strong or is raise them strong also good for parents to use to help their, you know, if they're a parent, then I would say it's good for them too, because you have to model these things. Yeah. Um, and and I get that all the time. Thank you so much. This has really helped me. Hey, I think this saved our marriage. Our problem was so we're so irritable with each other, always getting offended by each other. And you're helping cure our family of our offendability. And we're starting to reward resilience as opposed to achievement. And that seems to be a lot better for us. Um, so again, when you reward achievement, you put this expectation that I must achieve so I can get a reward. Well, what if you mm. lose well? So when my kid would, uh, I told him when he was playing baseball, if the ump calls a bogus call and you walk to the dugout with a good attitude, I'm giving, I'm getting you Hawaiian ice on Main Street in Safety Harbor. You know, I'm going to reward that. But if you win the game, I'm not going to give you Hawaiian ice. Like you won the game. Good job. I'm only going to reward resilience. You, you having an unfortunate, harsh reality happen to you mm. and adjusting well to it. <laughs> and so the adjustment, does that also like in, in the sports uh in the sports instance does that also make sure or help the it not being present at the next at bat yeah i mean imagine if a child who gets a bad call at the mm-hmm. beginning of the game the rest of the game his shoulders are drooped because he's got a chip on his shoulder and he's now hates the ump because that's going to affect his game his mindset of being a victim of mm-hmm. that guy not only creates retaliatory feelings to be mean to that guy. And if you're mean to that guy, that guy may have low frustration tolerance. And he may be saying, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm a freaking volunteer, you little snotty nosed, pimply faced brat, you know, and he may call on purpose, even though it's unjust, it's reality. Yeah, for sure. People are biased. Why? Because they feel victimized by it's you. funny because in sports, I, I, I think about like a chip on the shoulder. You know what I mean? Like it, we, we hear about that, like, 
uh, adversity, you know, almost wearing it like, okay, you might be doing this, but I'm going to take it in my own hands. So, but it does make a ton of sense that if I can move on from something that I can't control quickly, not to take it into the next. Right. Yeah. And I'm not under any delusion that it can't be disappointing. No, I'm okay sure. with disappointment, but it must be lightly held. Like quick. Your, your desire of what you hope is lightly held. Don't carry it for long. As opposed to a demand, you know, uh, yeah, I don't have the ability to show you on this, but um, you just need to, it's okay to live life with desire, but be really good once your desire is not met to uh, adjust to the harsh reality that you're not getting what you want. Oh, I love that. I, I, um, I think it was Alex Ramosi was talking about the idea that, uh, that essentially what uh, unhappiness is, is your expectation mm -hmm. being different than your reality. So if you, you know, again, having, like you said, lofty goals and ambitions, being okay with the reality, even in pursuit, um, not That's allowing great. the, uh, that difference to feel like you should have, or should be here, but being happy with what you currently have while still right. being in pursuit is the quickest way to quote unquote happiness or contentment. Um, right. That, he almost talks about happiness as an illusion, like be content with your current life while still in pursuit and you won't be as sad or right. hurt right. if you're living in the reality because the difference isn't a weight bearing down on you almost. It's the power of gratitude. When you mm -hmm. are grateful, you know, you can be you could be happy in your present limitation and still have the desire for a greater potential. But even though you're here in your actual potential versus your preferred potential, you're full of happiness and joy and you could actually be content. You could actually say, you know, even if I didn't get my actual potential, <laughs> it's okay. Like I am blessed to the max. So it's eyes of gratitude. How could this turn out for your good is the question that helps us realize I'm grateful for this. Even the bad stuff, even the bad stuff. Yeah. So it is a, it's, I don't, uh, it's been said expectations are premeditated resentment. Expectations are premeditated resentment. You're about to resent the fact that you didn't get what you want. And I'm sort of a desire slaughterer. If I look at my life body of work, people say, oh, you speak against bullying. It's like, you know, the reason why I'm like the number one anti-bullying speaker in the world is because what I teach is to accept the harsh reality that there's extreme a ownership. Yeah. And just say, yeah. take responsibility for your own feelings. And I love how you said that because um, I, I just heard a quote and I'm going to butcher it, but essentially it's like regret lives in the past and, you know, desire or lack thereof lives in the future, but peace lives in the present. Like just, this is who we are. This is where we're at. And it, it for me, that just hit so hard because being in the present, allowing what is to is while also pursuing, allowing what is what is and understanding that things may change, but they may not. Uh, it's, I think it's something that we, maybe we haven't been taught or understand the importance of, but definitely as I've gotten to, like you said, accept what is, um, while also understanding pursuing what I want is okay. It's, it's such an yeah, interesting but, but difference. Even that I would be careful with, I mean, you know, I, uh, I have sort of a radical idea uh, okay. because I'm 42 years old and yeah. I, I lived a certain way in my 20s and a certain way in my 30s. And and at this point, uh, I'm all about stewardship. I'm not about ambitious achievement. Okay. But whatever I do have, I want to preserve and protect and multiply mm. in a way that's reasonable, that will not keep me from my real values, which is being a dad and being a husband and stuff like that. So like w whatever I've been given, I'll try to steward as opposed to like thinking grandiose, great things for myself. I want to be the number one. I want to have a New York times bestseller. I want to have my own TV show. I want to do that. It's just your typical stuff that you get in your twenties and thirties. And you realize you're chasing all these like deals. And that's, that's not, but there's, uh, that's Which just is funny because like you are the number, it's I, funny because you are the number one speaker and you do have a number one New York Times bestseller. It's very interesting. <laughs> okay. 
You know, isn't that interesting? It's kind of like how life works. Those who <laughs> want it most never get it, and those yeah. who don't care about it seem to get it. Yeah, but it sounds like you did care about it at one point, and then you got it, and you're like, no, no it's not that important. No, actually, you know, I, I did care, and I couldn't get it. Okay. My career crashed, and I had zero engagements. Okay. No one cared. And uh, Jill says, why don't you just put out a couple of your videos, like online, and maybe we'll get a gig or two in Florida. And I said, okay. So I targeted and I started putting together some videos and then it was like, boom, I was a global thing. So it's almost like Jesus put it this way. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot flourish. And, and, and it's not just Jesus who had that brilliant idea. It's like, uh, it's sort of how life works. You know, the power of negotiation is that you don't need it and you could walk away from it. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes you so attractive. That's like that's what attraction is, by the way. Women know this. If I'm too easy, he's not going to even want it, want me. But if I'm hard to get, I become all of a sudden like the most important thing to him in a challenge. Like, what is that? I don't know. But what I do know is godliness with contentment is the formula for great gain. That's a Bible verse. Godliness, I'm just going to work on myself. With contentment, I'm going to be happy with where I am. Well, when I just do those two things, I, I skyrocket into the advancement. It's also meekness. Meekness inherit the earth. Mm. It's, I'm not going to try to, you know, go crazy and, and demand all these things. I'm just going to have my ambition under control, my strength under control. And then people start advancing me because I'm not freaking obnoxious. I saw a quote, I'm not recently. I saw a quote recently that was about detachment and it said, detachment is not, uh, Never wanting anything to own, but never letting anything to own you. Yeah, right. And learn to admire and not acquire. Like I can admire this person's success. I don't need to acquire their same success. Why can't I be happy for people? That's why covetousness and enviness. And these are all biblical virtues that are also philosophical virtues, which are now psychological virtues. So you don't need a Brooks. You need need God. Frankly, at the end of the day, because here's what God does. I hear you. And we can close with this. Because God God pacifies all of your anxieties. He's got the whole world in your hand, in his hands. He is sovereign, which means in control of everything. Nothing will happen to you unless he approves. And if he approved it, he'll bring you through it. And you could trust him. It's better to trust in him than it is to put confidence in man. You know, certainly don't have confidence in yourself. When you could lean on God, when you could trust him with your life, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And he, you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. And precious are the thoughts that you think towards him. Great is the sum of them. If you could count every precious thought, there'd be more than sand on the seashore. And I'm not like Eminem. Go ahead, hit it. You have to drop a beat on this. I'm like a sea level carnival version of Eminem. I'm here rapping. Dropping bars. Uh, Brooks, no. Hey, 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 Brooks, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, to, to end to end the episode, I will ask you just some rapid fire questions. If you can, uh, if you're okay with kind of answering the few things that come to mind, I would really, really appreciate it. Um, just some things that came up, some things that through the interview and, you know, others. Uh, the first one for me is like, what are the three things that people ask you? And if you haven't answered them here, like what are the three, some three of the things that people constantly ask you and the answer to those things, if you got them? Uh, yeah. People say, uh, why aren't you asking the bully to change? Got it. And I would say, because the bully identifies as a victim mm-hmm. and I am asking him to change. So when I speak about the victim mindset, I'm speaking to both the one that seems like the obvious victim. And mm-hmm. I'm also speaking to the one that you're calling a perpetrator or labeling yeah. bully. Hurt people hurt people. Because they feel like a victim. So you victim-proof students, you bully-proof schools. That's that's probably, I, I, as far as three go. Uh, no worries. I, I really like that. We can move on. Yeah, move on. What are the things, uh, like, what are some of the things that you feel parents aren't asking? whether it be to their kids or aren't asking you like things that would be super helpful with either helping themselves not be bullied or helping their kids. But what are, what is one, let's not even go three. What is one of the things that sticks out to you that parents should be asking or be thinking about? You know, is this the way I would like to be parented? (sighs) Gibbs, you have no idea how much I love that one. Cause there's, when I deal with parents, I ask them that sometimes, and it's the blank stare of, 
I know, but I'm the parent. Oh, it frustrates me. Um, and I, I, I mean, I really don't care at the end of the day, but knowing how you I was care about helping people Man. and it's a bummer for you to see that they can't seem to get it. But yeah, you know, put yourself in that little kid's shoes and what he wants is unconditional acceptance. He doesn't mind that you don't approve, but he does care about your acceptance. And so to merge his behavior with his person and condemn his person because of his behavior, that is, that is wounding him on the solical level, mm. as opposed to saying, I love you flaws and all. Wow. And then, uh, what would you say to a kid or a parent who feels they have to be liked? Uh, well, as long as you want to continue to suffer, continue to have that point of view. But the second that you want to stop needlessly suffering, be happy with who you are and how you are and stop living for the approval of other people. Mm. And then last but not least, I'm going to challenge you here, uh, which probably is not a big challenge because you have all of the things to wrap it up. Um, so you said, what does that kid need? And you, that kid or that parent, and you said, God. Now, for someone who is not currently with faith or, you know, it actually is even going to church, but maybe doesn't feel that's the way I would say or ask you to give us an option B, right? Like if someone says, you know, I'm out on God, you mentioned a few other things that uh, could be similar or had similar tenants. What would be your option B to the person who right now is listening and saying, God's not going to be the route I go. So I, they're, they're, it's not for me. What would be the option B for personal exploration of some of these, uh, of some of these. I would say I have no option B. So not some of the other like Stoics or psychology or books, or there's not an other, like a, a gateway drug <laughs> that yeah, would. It's everything else is counterfeit. Everything else is band-aids. Everything else is a, a simile a like or as of the original thing. And if I'm going to be a real authentic communicator of where the medicine's at, I would say God loves you. And he proved it through Jesus. Fall in love with that God, the God of the Bible. And you will have incredible healing, psychological healing. And all, all these other things will fall into place because of what God provides you in a relationship with him. So I know that's frustrating. I know that's like not ideal, but it's like, um, you're not going to get a plan B from me. Got it. So, and, and then now just, this will be the last question. I promise when you're working with people, is that a foundation of your, like if, if I were to hire you, is that like the foundation of, what? you know, uh, I speak 90 plus percent of my stages are secular public schools. So, you know, I, I'm teaching them something that's biblically based, psychologically sound, culturally relevant. And so the foundation of everything that I teach is from scripture. But I, I don't quote chapter and verse, but I teach them basically what the Bible says, that philosophy has confirmed, that psychology has now validated, that your irrational demands that you make towards yourself, others, and life are the source of all your angst. And so give up the grip of your demands of how yourself or others or life should be mm -hmm. and accept and appreciate what is. And when you do that, you'll suffer less. And is there it's anything not, that you would not say? Sure, but it's a band-aid. It's a, it's a pacifying remedy. Is there anything that you would say that would also be culturally irrelevant that someone could dive into and get some of the same tenets that you're uh, outside of just your stuff, some of the cultural tenets without um, maybe stepping into or embracing religion for the first time. I mean, the golden rule says nothing about God, Okay, but it's every religion in the world teaches it. And so an atheist can love the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. And, and in that maxim for living is both a social instruction to treat others and an emotional instruction, consider how you would want to be treated. You know, so treat others the way you would want to be treated. It's the first social and emotional instruction, but its roots are in the, the first time it was ever really written. I, I believe, uh, at least in the positive was in Jesus, what he said, uh, he always was 
communicated in the negative. Don't do to others what you would not want done to you. But the affirmative is so much more powerful because it causes you to be the initiate, the initiator, to be the change that you want to see in the world. And the world will reciprocate that same change. So I'm fine. You know, I believe the Bible's all true, but not all truth is in the Bible. And if something contradicts the Bible, it's probably a lie. And that's kind of my approach. And it's totally okay. biased. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I can't be a true scientist if I have that bias. But I've seen the utility of the healing and the psychological freedom that's released when you trust that there's a good sovereign God that knows your name, cares about you, and wants to dynamically work with you in this life with this problem now. Like that's very powerful. And for someone not to live with that, you know, I think, well, then what, what is your morals based on? What is your absolutes based on? You become a relativist, you're going to most likely become um, – what do they call it when there's no meaning? A nihilist, you know, and nothing has meaning. And that's that's a pretty devastating uh, way to live. If you take your thoughts, godless thoughts, to the end of the thought universe, nihilism is waiting for you. And that's not fun. Mm, interesting. Okay. I don't know about nihilism. I'll have to check that out myself. Uh, but I do want to thank you for coming in. And, uh, I mean, again, we – we talk forever and we will continue if we, if I don't stop us here today and I appreciate you extending the time. Yeah, so I know, I know that your time is valuable. Uh, everyone who's watching on YouTube, please, uh, like it, share it, subscribe to the channel. Um, make sure you check the description because there will be some information that Brooks talked about throughout the episode and you can find his book there. You can find uh, his website there. The remind me of the website. Uh, the, raise them strong.com raise them strong.com will be there as well and so uh, all these great tools that will help us become better parents teachers and leaders uh, will be there for you if you're listening to one of the podcast platforms please leave a nice little rating and review and uh, you'll also be able to find the things and the places that you can find Brooks there in the description. So just take advantage of all of those tools uh, because my man's got some great, whether you, whether you believe everything he says or not. And I think that is so important, Brooks, uh, whether you believe everything he says or not, he does have gems. So don't lose sight of some of the great information that he does have because you don't agree with everything that he has. You can take the nuggets that, maybe have changed your perspective or given you new perspective and dive into them even more. Uh, while also, you know, you don't have to believe, but I really, really do hope that you give everything he said an opportunity to be true, do some self-exploration because what the wake up warrior podcast is all about is introducing new ideas so that we can do and uh, do our own work and be open to change. Brooks, I really appreciate your time. Hey man, it was controversial. But it was fun. Thank you. <sighs> Who doesn't love that? <laughs> Be well, man. Be well.